Hi, Foxies. The episode you're trying to listen to is right around the corner, but first, we need your help. You may have noticed that there are no ads during the Fox and the Foxhound. We prefer this, being ad haters ourselves, but we need your help to keep it that way. If you love this show, please consider signing up as a patron at patreon.com slash the Fox and the Foxhound. We have Patreon tiers starting at just $1 a month. And not only will you get fun extra content and an unedited cut of every episode two days early, you'll be directly responsible for keeping the show going in all of its ad-free glory. Thanks to all of our existing patrons, past patrons, and hopefully future patrons. Enjoy the episode. Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kevin, and we are the Wilsons. I'm reading through the Harry Potter series for the first time. And I'm a devoted Potterhead. We've been married almost a year now and started the show when we were still engaged. Each week, we read a chapter, or sometimes two or three, and discuss our journey through the series. We also pull marriage lessons from each week's text, and Kev makes a prediction about what we can expect from the series in the future. This is a podcast about Harry Potter, but it's also a podcast about love, relationships, community, and the world. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We're glad you decided to join us. Settle in, make some friends through our many social media platforms, and enjoy the ride. If you're already a regular listener, welcome back. We can't do this without you. Fair warning for first-time readers of the series. As long as you don't read ahead of Kev, you won't encounter spoilers. And a fair warning to all of our listeners, we occasionally get really excited about the series and use adult language to express ourselves. We're glad you're here. At the end of the show, you can find out how to interact with us, your gracious hosts, connect with other listeners, and ways you can support the show through our Patreon page. Welcome to the Fox and the Foxhound. Hello, Foxies, my old friend. Ding, 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 ding. Good to see your face again. Ding, 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 ding. This is my Things Are Getting Darker opening song. Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. We need to take Simon and Garfoxies. Oh, we need to take an album cover or we just need to be Simon and Garfunkel for Halloween. Brian Wackler, can you do this for us? (laughs) But which one is which? Am I Simon or Garfunkel? I don't know. I guess I'm probably Garfunkel because he's like fairer. You know, like you have darker hair than I do. So you'd be Simon. Yeah. I'm too tall to be Paul Simon. Though. Oh, yeah. You are way taller. So maybe you're Garfunkel. <laughs> walks up to me, says, why are you fat in the middle now? Yeah, but I'm getting in the middle now. <laughs> She's got diamonds on the shoes of her feet. So, Is the shoes of her soles of her feet? Soles. Shoes of her feet. <laughs> shoes of her feet guess what i found out this week what i have the hearing of a first grader which you said is that a good thing (laughs) and i texted this to a friend of mine and her response was oh no i'm so sorry i said oh no 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 like in a good way (laughs) you know what's weird is that really shows that it's not your hearing it's your add yes when i'm like amanda honey Amanda Young. I'll yell from the other room, Amanda Young. I'll come into the room and look at you and you're like, hmm, (laughs) but, 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 or this, here's a little psychological moment for a second. Notice 
that you don't for a second consider that possibly the problem is your volume or your timing or like you don't ever for a second think that you're the problem. You like immediately I'm the problem. You oh, it's not your hearing. It's your ADD. I think that for the past two days, you've been walking around with big eustachian tube energy. I really have. Because, okay, so I went to the ear, nose, and throat doctor because I have like clicky problems in my ears. And a feeling of constant pressure. And pressure in my ears. And so I got my, you like when you go to the ear, nose, and throat doctor, usually they have you sit with the audiologist first because they want to go ahead and check your hearing because the ear, nose, and throat doctor is going to look more structurally at your ears. So the audiologist, they put these like the most uncomfortable headphones that exist on the planet on your ears. And then you have a button and you're in like the soundproof room. I felt like I was about to lay down some tracks and then you're like listening for beeps and they test each ear individually. And you like press the button when you hear the beeps. And so he's like, (laughs) you know, and he's like making notes and stuff. So of course I'm like, oh shit, like did I Am I missing it? Am I getting, am I doing really well or really badly? Like, I can't tell. So he showed me like on the graph, like the frequencies that I was hearing. And he showed me like where average was and where I was. And he was like, you have the hearing of like a first grader. You have super hearing. I have really good hearing. You also have sort of supervision too, because your distance vision is really good. My up close vision is not so good, but my distance vision is really, really good. So yeah, he said that he was jealous and that I had really good hearing and I should be very, very pleased with myself. And I was like, well, you know, I I didn't, it's not like I worked for that or anything, but thanks. What if you walked out and he said to the nurse, LOL, that girl can't hear shit. Oh my God, that would be so mean. So then I saw the ear, nose and throat doctor and he told me that the problem I'm having is that my eustachian tubes work too well. (laughs) (laughs) That they are, in fact, like overzealous with opening. So instead of like opening gently every time I swallow or every time, you know, I yawn or, you know, when they kind of like equalize the pressure with your eardrum, they're like, yeah, and they're like opening really wide. And so my my eardrum is like rattling. So that's what I'm hearing. And so it gets dried out back there. I love that journey for you. Love that journey for me. Well, it sucks for me. So, you know, and the really sucky thing is there's like literally nothing I can do about it. Well, I woke up with my left wrist feeling like it's broken (laughs) for zero reason. I've done nothing to it. Nothing unusual. Yeah. So we're just. Maybe it knows I'm coming up on my one year broken bones anniversary. You know, there is some compelling evidence that our bodies and our brains have like trauma memories. Like they store. Uh, memories of anniversaries of trauma. That's a thing. So speaking of trauma, let me tell you about this wizard boy. Holy moly. Chapter 36, the only one he ever feared. The only one he ever feared. You are reading first. He hasn't gone, Harry yelled. He did not believe it. He would not believe it. Still, he fought Lupin with every bit of strength he had. Lupin did not understand. People hid behind that curtain. He had heard them whispering the first time he had entered the room. Sirius was hiding, simply lurking out of sight. Harry felt the familiar sensation of a hook being jerked behind his navel. The polished wooden floor was gone from beneath his feet. 
the atrium, Fudge, and Dumbledore had all disappeared, and he was flying forwards in a whirlwind of color and sound. So the heartbreak continues. Yeah, so this is one of those chapter transitions where we keep going. Yeah. It doesn't start in a different timeline. Oh, no. No. So Harry Potter can't even about his godfather dying. It's so sad, the first little bit of this. And I love this moment where Neville comes up to him and says, Harry, I'm sorry. Was he a friend of yours? Oh, my God. It's because his nose is still broken. So he can't, like, make his words. So, okay, I've got to, like, admittedly... I'm going to go ahead and say I may spend too much time in these first couple pages. I'm okay with that. The rest of it is action, action, action. We're not, we won't do like a a blow by blow of the action. The emotional stuff is where it's really at. Because I had told you when we were doing Beyond the Veil that typically in my reading of Order of the Phoenix, it's this chapter where when I'm usually like reading the book through, this is when I usually start crying about serious dying. And it's one particular line. And I'll tell you what it is. It's this line. But some part of him realized, even as he fought to break free from Lupin, that Sirius had never kept him waiting before. Sirius had risked everything, always, to see Harry, to help him. If Sirius was not reappearing out of that archway when Harry was yelling for him as though his life depended on it, the only explanation was that he could not come back. Oh. It's, I don't know what it is about that line, especially that Sirius had never kept him waiting before. Yeah. It's, because like the first little bit, Harry still is this... No, he's not gone. This is not like, this is not Harry going, no, my godfather's dead. This is him literally going, let go of me, mofo. He's right there. Let me get him. Yeah, you've misunderstood what happened. Exactly. And the fact that what makes him realize it is the fact that he's like, hang on, I'm making a lot of noise right now and Sirius isn't coming to the rescue. He would never not come to my rescue. Exactly. That's so sad. And it also just sort of paints the picture of what absence feels like. Yeah. Oh, It's harsh. It's so harsh. And we also see the first signs of emotion from Lupin here too, like his voice is breaking. And then there's this line right after Neville joins them where it's like, it sounded like every word was causing him pain. Every word that Lupin says is causing him pain. He's like pale, but there's still a job to do. He's like, we've got to find these other children. But he's like wrecked. Yeah. You know? Oh, God. You know, when Neville says that, his legs are uncontrollably dancing too. <laughs> no. Which is kind of like what my legs do all the time. You do have like shaky jiggly legs you really do you need the finite spell so lupin makes his legs stop with finite he stops the i think it was tarantalegra spell yeah tarantula legs tarantula legs well harry's like i'm gonna go kill bellatrix yeah he's yelling she killed Sirius. she killed him i'll kill her he's like bloodthirsty for Bellatrix. Absolutely. Because Kingsley took over this duel. All of this is kind of happening in seconds. Dumbledore got the rest of the Death Eaters rounded up, but Bellatrix is still free. 
Kingsley's dueling with her. Mad-Eye is no longer unconscious, but he's crawled over to Tonks trying to revive her. We still don't know what that's... Yeah, we still don't know what that's about. But at some point, Bellatrix breaks free from Kingsley and she starts making a break for it. And Harry sees this happen and he's like, "Uh uh-uh. And he chases after her. He chases her into the brain room. Mm -hmm. She does a spell to dump the brains and all the water and stuff on Harry, but he counteracts the spell. So he doesn't get taken over by the brains the way Ron did. I feel like I imagine the smelling really bad. Like the brains? Is, yeah. Oh, brain water? Yeah. It's got to smell bad. It's got to be like- I really bet it smells it. like that Bellhaven Museum we went into. Stop with it. With the half-filled formaldehyde freaks and Stop stuff. Stop it. Stop it. How do you even describe how that smelled? I mean, it smelled like formaldehyde, but there was something else. Yes, rotten things that have been exposed <laughs> to air because they hadn't topped off the formaldehyde. Oh, God. They didn't have a Waffle House waitress come over and say, you want me to freshen that up for you, honey? <laughs> She's got a pot full of formaldehyde. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus Christ. So there's this battle going on between Bellatrix and Harry. And to me, the most fascinating part of this entire chapter is right here at this part. And I want to read this. Okay. He ran, but she had slammed the door behind her and the walls had begun to rotate again. So now he's like without Bellatrix. Once more, he was surrounded by streaks of blue light from the whirling candelabra. Where's the exit? He shouted desperately as the wall rumbled to a halt again. Where's the way out? The room seemed to have been waiting for him to ask. The door right behind him flew open, and the corridor towards the lifts reached ahead of him, torch lit and empty. He ran. What do you make of that? So, I have always taken this as this is the way this room works. (laughs) Kind of a little room of requirement-esque. Like, you figure, okay, people work in this department every day. How the hell else... Do they get to their respective offices? Right. If it disorients them every day, there has to be a mechanism to figure out which door is right. You ask it. Well, here's what's interesting to me. Okay. He didn't ask it the first time he went in there. Right. I don't think it even dawned on him. Of course not. To ask it the first time. I think what this represents is a new leveling up in Harry's confidence as a wizard. Okay. Okay. Because if you look at the kids trying to make their Patronuses in the Defense Against the Dark Arts Room of Requirement lessons with Harry, Mm -hmm. and you see people like Ron using the wand and accidentally turning the cup into a mouse or the mouse into a half cup mouse and like weird stuff like that. Even the way that they say the spells and the way they do them There's a confidence that you have to get to be good at it. Definitely. This is true of sports. If you watch someone who is not terribly great at basketball, like either one of us. (laughs) Right. And you you watch us shoot. It's not only that we're not as accurate as a good player. Right. But our body language is that we don't trust our own throw. Mm-hmm. We're not sure what it's going to do. Mm-hmm. You watch somebody like Katie Dizuks or, <laughs> you know, you watch Michael Jordan hit a three-point shot. Right. There's this look on his face like, I know it's going in. True. Even when it doesn't. That's so it true. It takes a certain amount of confidence. So, you know, I play disc golf a lot. Yeah. And a huge part of putting in disc golf 
is confidence. You can't overthink it. You have to just boom, throw it in the chains. So I think this is Harry reaching a new level of maturity and a new level of confidence with himself. Yeah. And because he's just gone through this immense pain, it's like no holds barred. That's it now. I think it's a new level of, of confidence in his own magical ability. I really like that because if you think about the way this sequence is written, it would have been just as easy for the author to write it such that Harry makes it that he's literally in step close enough to just eke in right behind Bellatrix through the door. Yeah. Why write it so that he has to ask this question? Why write it so that he has to have this moment? Right. He doesn't say, please, someone tell me the way out. I know. He goes, where's the way out? Exactly. Show me the exit now. He's mm. feeling this dominion over this thing that's kind of alive, the way Hogwarts is alive. Yeah. This is the relationship that I think Dumbledore has with Hogwarts Castle. Yeah. Hogwarts Castle is almost like a living thing. Yeah. At least in as much as that it has so many charms and things on it. So that Dumbledore, we've seen how he can just disappear from a room, how he can show up places, how he can change things. Yeah. I think he talks and Hogwarts Castle freaking listens. Yeah. And this is a moment of Harry telling this building, this room, this space, I'm a fucking wizard now. I like that. Give me my answer. And the spinning room is like, oh, okay. All right. Here you go. There you go. Just an interesting I thing. really like Very that. Very fascinated by that part. And because I like that because that sort of big dick energy really continues into the atrium. Yeah, big eustachian tube energy. Big eustachian tube energy. Because Harry, I mean, at one point I wrote in my book, I wrote cocky bastard. Yeah. But it's not cockiness. It's not arrogance. He just... The stakes are so high and he's so angry, but also he just, he, he has nothing more to lose. And he's been through so much that he's perceiving the world differently. Yeah. Like I used to work with a guy who um, fought in Afghanistan for the United States Marine Corps. And I remember when he first started, we sat across from each other. And one of my coworkers next to me was like, oh, my God, I don't want to call this person back. I'm so nervous. Yeah. And my coworker was super nervous because this customer they expected was going to be mad. And she was nervous about calling him. And I heard him say under his breath, but I caught him. I heard him say, why is somebody shooting at you? Oh, God. And I kind of looked at him. And he was like, sorry, dude. It's just I don't I don't yeah. get that mindset. Right. And it was for him. For her, it's like, oh. God, this is so awkward. This makes me so nervous that I'm going to have to like call this person back and they're going to be mad at me and I'm going to have to like settle this escalated customer service complaint. Yeah. To him, he's like, I've had people shoot at my head while I slept in the desert for months. Mm-hmm. There's no customer alive that can make me feel in any way anxious or nervous or yeah. anything. And I don't think that he was trying, I don't think he meant it like, suck it up, buttercup. Right. I think it was just an expression of how different his perception is than hers. Absolutely. And that's kind of like Harry. 
Harry is going to eventually, and I think he is, get beyond even Ron and Hermione. Yeah. You know, what sucks is that a hero's destiny, a hero is made by all of the tragedy that they have to go through to get there. For sure. It's not like hero stories aren't. He was born, and then someone gave him a golden wand, and then someone taught him magic. And then this other great thing happened, and another great ha- thing happened. No one cares about that. That'd be such a boring story. The hero's journey is how someone fought against all odds, and it made them stronger and better. And that's Absolutely. why we like these stories, because we hope to see a part of ourselves in it and tell ourselves that we can overcome things and become stronger. And that we can go through terrible things and still maintain our value system yeah and that we can still have dignity and that we can still believe in fair play and that we can you know still hold on to the things that make us quote unquote the good guys yeah you know that's important too and i'm glad that your coworker didn't say that to her because you're right that mindset is very rarely helpful to say to someone else this whole like you think you have it bad, blah, blah, blah. But I think that when you're processing your own experience, yeah, that's completely valid. I mean, from your other coworker's perspective who was nervous, her nerves are her nerves. It and that's valid matter. too. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So he's chasing Bellatrix to the lifts and it's like he sees her around the corner and then she's gone. Then he sees her again. She's just out of sight Yeah, as he's running after her and she makes her way to the lifts. Mm-hmm. And I just think that this is so funny that there's like this battle and people are running and someone's chasing them. And then you're in the elevator. I know. I keep hearing girl from Ipanema. Ding. Put the battles on Exactly. Yes. So they get to the atrium and Bella is like taunting HP. She's like, come out, little hairy boy. Did you love him? Did you love your godfather, Harry? Harry and the Hendersons. Harry Styles. Harry <laughs> Carey. Take me out to the ball game. What? <laughs> God. But it's... Oh, that's... that. Harry met Sally. He'd be like, what? what? Harry Truman. What if she started doing like the old SNL thing where she was like... Harry Carey, Harry Potter, making coffee. He's the Potter man. (laughs) No, it's so there's a couple of things like in this chase, not only is she fast, you know, she's powerful. She's also she ain't scared of this kid. But I think it's important to remember, you know, she's firing these spells and she's running and all that. She's just spent many years in Azkaban. Like, this is not just a and this is part of what I'll get into when we watch the movie. She's not just like a deranged, you know, crazy lady. She's a powerful. Yes. She is a terrifying Force. I think all the Death Eaters are pretty freaking powerful. Wizards. Absolutely. You know, as a reader and Harry and all of these people should be very afraid of this woman. She is, you know, maybe a, she's a small step below Voldemort in terms of threat level. Yeah, it is. She's very, very um, 
she's a worthy adversary here. So this brings us to my second favorite part of this chapter. Okay. And that is when Harry tries to use the Crucio curse yeah. on Bellatrix, mm-hmm. which as we know is the tortured curse, which was used on Neville's parents mm-hmm. and which Bellatrix actually used on Neville himself. Yes. It's and one he's of like, oh, okay. Not only am I going to kill this person, I'm going to torture this woman. One of the three unforgivable curses. Yes. This mm-hmm. is how angry he is. There's Crucio, mm-hmm. there's Avracadavra, whatever it is. Avada Kedavra. Avada Kedavra, which is the killing curse. Yeah. And what's the third one? Imperio. Imperio. Which is the mind control. Right. The Imperius curse. Yeah, you can curse. be under the Imperius curse. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which I think um, our boy is the Weasley, Percy. Okay, right. Yes, that's been one of your prophecies. I think that's yeah. been one of your prophecies. Yeah. So he uses it on her, and it just sort of like knocks her down a little bit, and she just gets up. Yeah, she's not laughing anymore, but it definitely doesn't do what we've seen it do to other people. And she's like, silly rabbit tricks her for kids. <laughs> like, she tells him... That's what it, that's what she would say in a Michael Bay movie. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. But she says, don't you know anything about the unforgivable curses? You have to mean it, Harry. Yeah. And that's the thing is mm-hmm. in his heart, he doesn't want to torture another human being. Exactly. You have to really mean it. And that's what makes them unforgivable. Yeah. It's not just that it's terrible to do. It's that you had that intention. Exactly. You know, there's first degree murder and then yeah. there's like third degree murder. Right. There's like, you caused somebody's death, but you didn't mean it. You didn't like plan it out. And it, yeah. And exactly. then there's first degree murder, which is premeditated. Exactly. I'm going to kill this person. Yeah. And it carries a stronger sentence because it's more unforgivable. Right. It's like you killed someone and then you like super duper really killed someone. That's a really great way to 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 put it. Yeah, that's kind of an important tenet. And that's the first we're learning about that. So, you know, back in book four, we learned about the existence of the unforgivable curses. And now, of course, that was also from a Death Eater. We didn't know that at the time. But now from another Death Eater, we are expanding our education about unforgivable curses that in order for them to work, you have to mean it. Which when you think about like what the torture curse is, you you have to really mean to torture someone. I mean, that to me, that's unfathomable. I can't imagine wanting to cause something or someone. No. Excruciating pain. No matter who it is. Right. I can see where people say, oh, if someone did this and they deserve to get this. But as far as like me doing it, exactly, I can't do it. It's one thing to think they deserve what they get. It's quite another thing to be the one causing it. Right. Oh, God. So then HP drops this bomb on old Bella. Oh, he says the prophecy's gone. Yeah. He's like, hand it over. It's not gone. And he's like, no, mate, it's gone. Ooh. We smashed it. And he starts like laughing maniacally. He's like, what you wanted, you can't have on the count of it got smashed. Right. You know what I'm saying? You know, the thing that this whole last four chapters was about, sister, it's gone. It was smashed. And she is shook. She does not like She looks terrified. This is like you lost Marcellus Wallace's money. You know? Is that Pulp Fiction? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is like, you just messed up the one thing that the boss like sent you to get. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. messed up and now it's gone. 
And he realizes that she didn't know that, that this is very bad news to her because she can see this on her face. She's real scared. He starts kind of using that to sort of psychologically turn the tables. But also Harry is feeling his scars start to hurt, which he realizes now because he's starting to kind of like fine tune this little skill of his. He's like, oh, oh, oh. Actually, my spidey senses are tingling. He knows. Oh, he's pissed. He's so mad at you right now. He is not happy. And so now Harry's just taunting her. At this point, I really think he's beyond caring what happens to him. Oh, yeah, for sure. He's like, I just want you to suffer, biatch. So then the man himself appears. Chilling chilling and Voldemort and he just shows up in the atrium and is like hello Harry (laughs) I heard you smashed my prophecy at first it was a little Eddie Izzard for a second (laughs) hello Harry hello Harry you like prophecies (laughs) does your wife like sports does she I bet she does I bet she does I bet she does cheeky bird and Voldemort says, I'm so sick of you, kid. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, you're just an annoyance at this point. Mm-hmm. And he goes to kill him with the Avada Kadavra. Kadavra. I want to say Abracadabra. You can just say AK. Yeah. It's or the like, killing curse. It's like Ice T said in his metal band body count. You try to ban the AK, I got 10 of them stashed with a case of hand grenades. Oh, uh, all right. So nice. Voldemort tries to. Shoot Harry with an AK. <laughs> and one of the statues ju- like comes to life. Yeah. The gold statues. These yeah. are the statues that has like a wizard and a centaur and a goblin and, you know, who God knows what else. It's like, like the real cringy statue from the atrium where it's like all the other creatures are like gazing in wonder up at the. It's like the real racist statue. Yeah, and they're the like of the shooting book. water out of their wands or whatever. It's a little it's a little sexy and a little and a lot racist. PB1 yeah. One statue. PB1 statue. So. <gasps> and Harry's like, oh, well, there that just happened. <laughs> He's uh, OK. And suddenly. Dumbledore. Once again, yes. Dumbledore enters the room. Dumbledore has entered the chat and Bellatrix had kind of tried to warn Voldemort. I guess she had this line, but master, he is downstairs. He is below. And Voldemort kind of, I mean, I don't know how you read this, but I always take it as Voldemort's kind of like just not listening to her. And I don't know that Voldemort even catches what Bellatrix means. I don't think so. Voldemort seems a little surprised (laughs) that Dumbledore's there. Yeah. Oh, shit. This is the only one he ever feared. Exactly. Dumbledore. He's such a powerful wizard. So when Dumbledore shows up, all the other statues start coming to life, too. Uh Uh-huh. They're, like, ready to battle. Yeah. There's, like, a Snoopy statue. (laughs) And there's, like, David without the arms. He comes out. Nuts flapping all over the place. <laughs> little tiny like, penis. Yeah. He was a little tiny, it's tiny penis. so bizarre. It's, yes, for sure. And so now we have a face off of Dumbledore and Voldemort, which is like basically all I ever want ever Holy in this book. Holy shit. What an epic battle. Some really classic lines. How about the line, it was foolish of you to come here tonight, Tom? That is so crazy because- mm. 
he still looks at Voldemort as Tom Riddle, the Absolutely. boy that he he was Tom's headmaster, right? Yeah. Well, uh, he, um, he was one of his teachers. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't headmaster at the time. No. And we learned that in Chamber of Secrets. Uh, Armando Dippet was headmaster at the time that Tom opened the Chamber of Secrets the first yeah. time. But Dumbledore was a professor there. And Dumbledore was kind of the only one who suspected Tom Riddle of being the one who opened the chamber. You know what this instantly made me think about? Hmm. Donald Pleasance in the first Halloween. Ooh. So Halloween, there's this little boy. And this little boy goes and like kills these people. That's the very opening sequence with the mask and all this stuff. And the parents come home and they're like, Michael? Michael? And he's standing there with the bloody knife and his clown costume. Well, Donald Pleasance ends up talking about him and is like, he had dark eyes. He'd look right through you. Talking about how this kid, as he got older, like he felt no sympathy. He yeah. almost was like not human. Yeah. And so there's a couple times in the Halloween franchise where I can't remember his character's name, but when Donald Pleasant sees Michael Myers and Michael Myers recognizes the doctor from his childhood and he's like, Michael, 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 come away now. You don't want to do this, Michael. He's trying to appeal to Mm. the original version of who he is. It reminded me so much of that, this line, like, it was foolish of you to come here, Tom. And Dumbledore's super calm this whole time. So calm. He's not like, oh, yes, Voldemort, I've been waiting for this moment. You are foolish to show up here because I am a mighty wizard. (laughs) That would be the worst. He's like, Little boy, yeah, you done messed up. How curious do you find yourself about Tom? Because I mean, up until this point, you've just had diary Tom Riddle. It makes me sad. Oh, it does. Yeah, the Tom Riddle story makes me terribly sad. You don't even know much about the Tom Riddle story. It's just, I don't know. I just feel like he's heading down. I feel like Draco's heading down this path. Mm. Like there's hope for this kid. But then he just goes full evil. Oh, man. Very sad. There's a great conversation between Double Diesel. Double D's. And the Flying V. (laughs) Flying V for He says, it was foolish to come here tonight, Tom, said Dumbledore calmly. The R's are on their way. By which time I shall be gone and you dead, spat Voldemort. He sent another killing curse at Dumbledore, but missed, and said, hitting the security guard's desk, which burst into flame. Dumbledore flicked his own wand. The force of the spell that emanated from it was such that Harry, though shielded by his stone guard, felt his hair stand on its end as it passed, and this time Voldemort was forced to conjure a shining silver shield out of thin air to deflect it, which sounded super cool. The spell, whatever it was, caused no visible damage to the shield, though a deep gong-like note reverberated from it, an oddly chilling sound. Mm. You do not seek to kill me, Dumbledore, called Voldemort. His scarlet eyes narrowed over the top of the shield. Above such brutality, are you? Kind of the thing that Bella was saying to Harry. Yeah. We both know that there are other ways of destroying a man, Tom, Dumbledore said calmly, continuing to walk towards Voldemort as though he had not a fear in the world, as though nothing had happened to interrupt his stroll up the hall. Merely taking your life would not satisfy me, I admit. There is nothing worse than death, Dumbledore, snarled snarled Voldemort. You're quite wrong, said Dumbledore, still closing in upon Voldemort and speaking as lightly as though they were discussing the matter over drinks. 
Indeed, your failure to understand that there are things much worse than death has always been your greatest weakness. What a line. This is such a cool Dumbledore moment. Yes. And this, here's what I absolutely love about this. There are so many moments in this fight. Going back and and reading this, having read the whole series, and, and this is not anything that I'm spoiling for you. In fact, I think I'm going to enrich your experience right now. I love the way what is yet to come is being so beautifully and carefully starting to be built right now. Yeah. You know, not in any kind of obvious, any spoilery ways, but just, you know, as you've seen in these first now almost five complete books, the world just gets and the story gets a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger, and a little bit grander, and the concepts just get a little bit bigger. At first, it's like friendship, you know? Yeah. Harry versus Voldemort. And now we're starting to get into concepts like, is death the worst thing that can happen to you? You know? And and these things are getting larger and larger. And so, yeah, it's just, it's lines like this that I go, oh, this is sort of this, this beautiful drop that I know speaks to some really beautiful stuff. Yeah, because there's two big, thick books left, mm-hmm. and it can't just be wizard battle, wizard battle. It right. can't just be shooting a spell, and this guy shoots a spell, and this guy shoots a spell. Right. It's got to grow and expand, or I'm going to get bored. And there are still two, you know, and obviously there's there's the final chapter of any book is usually just sort of a wrap-up, but we have one really epic chapter left in this book, too. Yeah. Because you still have to know a little bit more about this prophecy. And the next chapter is called The Lost Prophecy. So I know. Who it was to? Was it from Trelawney? What is the significance? Why is it the secret weapon? All of that You're going to get all those answers. So at one point, Dumbledore fires this curse Mm -hmm. out at Voldemort. Yeah. And it turns into a snake. Mm -hmm. And the snake kind of comes back to attack Dumbledore. And Fox, my hero, he flies in and swallows the curse. Yeah. And it kind of like, in quotes, kills him. Like it turns him back into like a little baby bird. Yeah. But he's moving as a... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a phoenix does not have a life cycle in the same way. Right. That they have a continuously repeating life cycle. Exactly. You don't need to worry about Fox. But the fact that Fox flies in. Right. And no, in front of his master. This I, is like oh. our dog Joe that would step in front of you. Unless it was a snake. Unless it was a snake. <laughs> in which so in this that. case, Joe would be horrible to protect Dumbledore. Exactly. Yes, Joe would be like, protect me. Yeah. Oh. So Harry's scar starts hurting like his head is splitting open. Yeah. So right before this, Voldemort kind of disappears. Yeah. And there's a moment, right? So there's a moment where Harry kind of thinks it's over, but Dumbledore says like, don't move. Do not like Dumbledore knows Voldemort didn't just leave, (laughs) please. And there's kind of an eerie quiet. And then the the line, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but it's something to the effect of, and then Harry's head split open and he knew he was dead. It was like, it's the most pain he's ever experienced. And we know this boy has felt some serious pain yeah. on account of the scar, usually. And some serious pain. Oh, stop. Why would you? God. Uh, 
he's essentially, for lack of a better word, possessed. Yeah. We have this kind of weird, it's Harry's thoughts, but then there's also this sort of commentary of if death is nothing, go ahead, Dumbledore, kill the boy. But then interspersed with Harry's own thoughts of like, yeah, please, like, honestly, please do it. Like, I can't do this. This hurts so much. Please kill me. And then there's this thought, and then I'll see Sirius again, which is... Oh, God. Heartbreaking. Yeah. And as a reader, you feel this, oh, but also that thought shifts something in this possession and it sort of turns it off. It clicks something off. So there's kind of a reason why as a reader that tugs at something emotionally, but it also tugs at something in this possession as well. Yeah, Dumbledore has kind of finally taken over. Or love has taken over. Emotion has taken over. Yeah. There's something about love like that existing and taking up the space in Harry's mind that's almost the way it, it feels to me is that it kicks everything else out. You know, it's the same reason that that Voldemort was unable to kill him because of his mother's love for him. Exactly. And it also is how the Patronus works. Yeah, exactly. You know that this is kind of this really powerful magic is this love, happiness, these sort of like warm, fuzzy things are the most powerful thing we've seen in the series up until this point against Voldemort. You know, and Voldemort says it in the graveyard at the end of book four. He says it was old magic. I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't anticipate it. Yeah. You know, I had a night the other night. This is about a week ago where I was feeling a little anxious before I went to bed and for no particular reason, just feeling a little bit down. Remember I had a few days there where I was feeling kind of depressed and I was laying in bed trying to go to sleep and sort of battling my own thoughts. And I started to think about all of these random things. Mm-hmm. Like I thought about being at Bush Gardens and my friend Dan, who Dan has probably a hundred jokes in his head that he can pull out and tell flawlessly at any moment. And Dan, me and Dan standing waiting for this event to start and him rapid fire hitting us with these jokes and us just falling out laughing at these jokes. I thought about that. I thought about. Me and my brother riding Mm. our favorite roller coaster, The Legend, at Holiday World, and the time that we got a ride where it was just the two of us in the front row and no one else on the train, and the moment that we realized that. And the more I thought of these things, they started tumbling down like a waterfall. And then it just started, I started seeing all these people in my life, and I could hear their laugh, and I could hear their voice, and then memories that I haven't thought about in a long time started popping up and I was like, oh crap. Yeah, there was that moment. Oh my God, there was that moment. That's so nice. And I could feel myself feeling better. And it was almost like I was conjuring my own Patronus <sighs> to fight these feelings that were coming at me. I love that. And the realization for me, sort of the revelation the next day was that in trying to conjure my Patronus, I think the way that I'm able to conjure a Patronus is not thinking about 
things that are, that don't have to do with other people. It is other people. It's the other people in my life. It's their love and it's their laughter and it's my joyous memories with them. Those are the happiest times of my life. Mm. And it's, it's the emotion. It's what you feel when you're on these trips and you're with these people. It's not the places it's not the events it's not the the stuff it's the experience it's this heightened level of being where everything is funny yeah even things that wouldn't normally be funny are funny because everyone's yeah. so joyous to see each other and spend this time with each other in a happy environment yeah and i think it's an important tool i think i'm going to start Really using that as a meditation more Yeah. when I go to bed and when I wake up in the morning is to take some time and let my brain just flow into all these memories that I have in my life. If you tell that. me, if you ask me, tell me of a really good memory. I'm like, um, okay, um, let me see. There was one time, but if I sit and I'm just still yeah, and open my brain to one of them and let them flow. Yeah. I can tell you 5,000 memories that are happy memories. I've started journaling. So, you know, I started Thursday and, you know, I've journaled every day since Thursday, which I it's only Sunday now. Like, you know, it's it's only a couple days, but still it's been kind of cool, you know, to just almost stream of consciousness, right? And I'm trying to write down, sometimes it's big, maybe even like emotional thoughts and reflections. And sometimes it's like, hey, this really funny thing happened and I want to write it down so that I don't forget that it happened. Yeah. You know, and I think that Patronus happiness things can be like that too. Sometimes they're big emotional things and sometimes they're these little, like the way that a certain friend looks when they laugh, you know, it's, I don't know. There's, it's beautiful. It's like, I have a habit of asking people if I can get a picture with them (laughs) that are kind of like confused by why I want a picture with them, but not (laughs) like there's a very famous, um, North Carolina pottery expert who wrote a couple definitive books on North Carolina pottery. And I got a chance to meet him and I asked him like, Hey, can I get a picture with you? And he said, well, no one's ever asked me that before, but okay. <laughs> like, yeah, this dude in the pottery world, he's kind of famous. He's kind yeah. of a big deal. Yeah. And I wanted to get my picture taken with him. Also, sometimes when I'm at a theme park and I meet just a cool employee, might be somebody at a snack bar that I've been chatting with for a few minutes. I'll say, hey, can we get a picture? And I'll get a picture. And they're like, um, Okay. And it's not because I want to use it to put it on social media or anything. It's because I want to, I just want to have that snapshot to remember that moment and to remember that little conversation. I love that. I love that. So it's almost like Harry's Voldemort's trying to take over Harry's brain though at the same time, right? But it's that that I'll see Sirius again that kicks him out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what would have happened had he not like gone that route? We don't Who know. Knows, we right? don't know. I don't know enough about how this whole connection works between them. Well, I mean, we don't know 
we don't know and we don't know what Voldemort's kind of end game was. All we know was that Voldemort was trying to get Dumbledore to to kill Harry, which of course we have to imagine was not going to happen. But we do know that Voldemort was putting Harry in really excruciating pain, which is not a sustainable state, you know. So here's something I've never thought of before, but that these past few chapters have really made me think about. Think of this room with all the prophecies in it. There are thousands, right? Yeah. They're going up, I don't know, three stories high. There's at least 97 rows. (laughs) Right. We imagine there's hundreds of rows. There's thousands and thousands of prophecies. And presumably when one breaks the seer, something about some essence of the seer that made the prophecy comes out of it. And I'm assuming we'll learn all this stuff. It dawned on me, is Harry just a seer? Mm. Are there a lot more seers than we think in Mm. the magical world? Is it kind of a common thing? Is Harry a seer? Was Tom Riddle a seer? Interesting. Are all of the most powerful wizards at some level seer? Do you become a seer when you're not? Is it preordained and predestined in your wizard DNA? Okay. So you feel like this concept of seers, like... Are we just sleeping on this concept of seers? Like it's been introduced, but that concept is going to become a lot more important. Something to think about. Something to think about. I want to say something to get you really excited about the movie. I'm just going to like tease something a little bit. This sequence, this battle with Dumbledore and Voldemort is I mean, I don't even think I need one hand to count the number of things in the movie series that I actually prefer in the movies to the books. Wow. This battle is one of them. Whoa. I love this battle in the movie. So remember when they got there and we were like, it's kind of quiet, almost too quiet. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's all these flu network fireplaces yeah. that are not on and the security guards not there and all this stuff. Well, all of a sudden, yeah. all of these auras come fluing out of yes. the fire yeah. and they've got fudge with them. <laughs> Fucking fudge. And fudge is like, ah, uh, oh, oh um, what? I didn't, uh, I, I didn't, I wasn't inciting an insurrection. I was just, um, just. Uh, oh, so you're a little suspicious of fudge's timing here. It sounds like. Well, not that so much as that it's, it's like, come on, fudge, you crooked bastard. Everybody's been telling you what the deal is this whole time. And you're like, oh, surely Voldemort's not back. I would know if the Dark Lord was back. I don't know if he's in on it or just too stupid and ignorant to believe someone as powerful as Dumbledore. But now he has, what's it called? Pie all over his face or whatever. It's egg on his egg face. On, he's got egg he's on got his egg face. Egg on his face. He comes in and he's like, if only someone would have told me. And Dumbledore's like, are you effing kidding me? He acts like a lot of people after AOC shut them down. Uh-huh. When uh-huh. AOC is like, oh, really? Oh, really? Because I have this document here that that clearly states in 2004 that you did vote for this policy. And exactly. you'll see them go, well, I, well, I, I, I. Yes. Yes. The reason why people are so so afraid of AOC and hate her so much is because AOC is internet literate and because AOC is very active on Twitter. Yeah. And because she's like, I have the Twitter receipts right here and I'm going to put them on Twitter for my X number of followers. Here you go. Exactly. So there was the 
statue that's head came off mm-hmm. and Dumbledore points to it and it starts vibrating and turning blue, mm-hmm. which we find out he's turning it into a port key. Yeah. So he can get little Harry boy back to freaking school where he can be safe. Yeah. And then he lets Fudge have it. I mean, really lets him have it. <laughs> it's so good and satisfying. It's so satisfying. These are the things that he says to him. You will give the order to remove Dolores Umbridge from Hogwarts, said Dumbledore, which I don't think Dumbledore realizes she's not at Hogwarts anymore. No. You will tell your R's to stop searching for my care of magical creatures teacher so that he can return to work. I will give you, Dumbledore pulled a watch with 12 hands from his pocket and glanced at it, half an hour of my time tonight. Which, I'm sorry, he did not need to look at his watch. Like, that was just a flex. He did not have to look at his watch. <laughs> like, he's not looking at his planner. Right. I could pencil you in for a four o'clock. Right. He's like, half an hour of my time tonight, in which I think we shall be more than able to cover the important points of what happened here. After that, I shall need to return to my school. If you need more help from me, you are, of course, more than welcome to contact me at Hogwarts. Letters addressed to the headmaster will find me. Uh-huh. I'm taking my job back, sucker. Uh Uh-huh. You'll find a bunch of Death Eaters downstairs. They're, don't worry, they're contained. He says, Harry, you're going back to school. I'll see you in half an hour. Yeah. So basically, like, I'm going to, like, basically catch fudge up on what's going on, and then I'm coming back to school. I'll come talk to you. I'm headmaster again. Dolores Umbridge is out. No more of this crap. Bye-bye. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, I mean, we've seen Dumbledore flex. We saw him flex a few chapters ago in his office. This is a real satisfying flex because, I mean, this whole time Fudge is just a stuttering, bumbling fool, you know, and he looks like an idiot in front of essentially the entire or department. Like all the orers are there and they're like, uh, but you said that Dumbledore was lying, but, but we just saw Voldemort. He was right there. You asshole. Uh, <laughs> you absolute asshole. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. That's a really good Clinton. Damn, hon. Your impressions are you should really hear my George point. Clinton. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't have a George Clinton. <laughs> you really, your impressions are really good. I'm glad they make such a good impression on you. Oh, God. How dare you? Um... It's, yeah, wow. I mean, this is a big Dumbledore chapter. Some big Dumbledore energy. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Big Dumbledore energy. I mean, let's just make- That's another shirt we need to make. We are going to make an executive order right now that the D in BDE no longer stands for Dick. It stands for Dumbledore. Wow. And that's basically the chapter. Harry uh, touches the port key, starts swimming around, and presumably he's on his way back to Hoghead. Hogwarts. Right. Hog school. Hogshead is a bar. Pig University. Pig. (laughs) The Pork Palace. It's the Princeton of Pork. Ew. That sounds... Oh, that sounds so sexual. (laughs) Oh, God. So, with your very cryptic statement about seers i'm wondering does that have anything to do with your prophecy or yes because i am a seer okay the focus of voldemort and the death eaters is now going to shift to killing dumbledore not harry 
Oh. Harry's not going to be the important thing anymore. Because the only thing that stands in the way of Voldemort killing Harry is Dumbledore. Okay. So that's what we're going to see. Interesting. Ooh. Well, you know, just based on what we saw in this chapter, if that's the case, then Voldemort and the Death Eaters are going to have their work cut out for them. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. Well, what is your epic battle in the atrium of the ministry, Hedwig's digital get down hoot? Rocky. I know, I was clapping. And Dumbledore runs to the top of the stairs in Philly and puts his fist Adrian! Yes, Adrian! You could have been a contender. You're a bum, Rocky. You're a bum. So our Hedwig's Digital Get Down comes from Amy. And Amy is launching a new podcast. We told you guys about it a while ago. We teased it for you. It's called The Rambling Raven Puffs. Now, she currently hosts a really cool podcast about gothic literature, but she's launching a Harry Potter specific podcast that's going to go live on February 1st, Rambling Raven Puffs. You should be able to find it anywhere that you get this podcast. You'll be able to find it. And you'll recognize Amy's voice. She has called into the show before and she always has great, great questions. She's like very academic and super wicked smart. But yours truly, the two of us, the Wilsons, are going to be one of the early guests on the show. And we will be recording our episode actually the day that the show launches. We'll be recording it the night of February 1st. Now, our episode isn't going to be live for a couple weeks, um, but we're going to be, she's going to be going chapter by chapter, kind of like our show does. But I think she's going to be specifically taking one chapter per week. And so we're going to be doing one of the early chapters in the first book. Neat. It's going to be kind of cool to go back to the first book and like little baby Harry. I know. I know. Back when I was like a baby reader too. I know. So you're going to be so much more seasoned at the time. So definitely make sure to check that out. But in the meantime, Amy has a question about uh, a possible plot hole that she thinks she's developed or something that she just can't quite wrap her brain around that has to do with fudge and serious. And so let's, let's okay. hear what she has to say. Hi, Amanda and Kevin. I wanted to get your thoughts on this particular plot hole because it's been bugging me since we got into the real meat of Order of the Phoenix. A few chapters ago, Umbridge admitted that she knows that Harry was talking to Sirius in the fire and that they have some sort of relationship. My question is, what on earth are Umbridge and Fudge telling themselves that would explain this uncanny alliance? Remember, the official story still is that Sirius sold out Harry's parents to Voldemort and that he killed 13 people. Within the scope of that narrative, the last person who would want to help Sirius would be Harry Potter. Even if the powers that be in the ministry want to think Harry is an intention-seeking liar, there's no plausible reason for Harry and mass murderer Sirius Black to join forces. Does Umbridge and by extension Fudge even consider this, or are they just so desperate to catch Harry in wrongdoing that all logic has been thrown out the window? Did Dumbledore at some point try to privately tell Fudge the truth about Sirius before things broke down in Goblet of Fire, and now Fudge suspects Sirius to be under Dumbledore's protection? I'm curious to hear your thoughts, because as paranoid as Fudge is, it's a really big thing to overlook that the boy who lived is suddenly buddy-buddy with his treacherous godfather. Thank you so much for your fabulous podcast. And I look forward to having you as guest speakers on the Rambling Raven Puffs. Take care. Bye. Amy is like the American version of Caroline. 
I know. Just the best accent of anyone in the country. I know. It's so, so cool. So I'll tell you, I've thought about this too. Really? Yeah, I have thought about this. You guys are so I've always just assumed that they know the truth. Me too. That Me they too. know it was a cover-up. They know that Peter Pettigrew framed him mm-hmm. and all this stuff they've known from the get-go. So that's mm-hmm. how I process it. I also, like, so I really chewed on this. Amy sent this a couple weeks ago, and I listened to it, and I really chewed on it, and I tried to think if there was kind of another way that I thought about it. But no, I'm completely with you. I think that Dumbledore did tell Fudge, and by extension, Umbridge, the the truth. I think that somewhere between the end of Prisoner of Azkaban and when things go to absolute shit, which is really not till the end of Goblet of Fire, I think he said, Fudge, listen, some new information has come to light. I know that Sirius Black has escaped, but, you know, Sirius is not the the person we thought he was. And this is what I need you to know. And I think that Fudge is just that manipulative. I think that he's willing to tell the public a continued lie in order to kind of get his way. Oh, yeah. You know, because I think that to Fudge, the more important message is that Voldemort is not back. I think it's more important to him that he sells that message And Sirius Black, an innocent man being thought of as still being guilty, is just a pawn. It's just collateral damage. I don't even necessarily need it for it to be Dumbledore who told them Mm. that they already knew. We have Death Eaters embedded in the Ministry of Magic. That's a good point, too. Yeah, that's a really good point, too. How do we know that they don't have fudge in their pocket anyway? Mm-hmm. I think Fudge lives in fear of the Death Eaters, of Voldemort, of Dumbledore, of the public. Yeah. He's a he's a patsy chump. Yeah. He's afraid of everyone. Yeah. He just wants to hold his little position. Of, I hate Fudge. I freaking hate Fudge. Yeah. And so this is kind of solidifying something that I really kind of want us to do when we finish the series. I was thinking one of the things I'd like us to do is take certain characters and do an entire episode about one character, go through their timeline and deep dive into things like this. And like, if we did a serious black episode, these are the kinds of questions I'd like to dive into. Cause when we have the whole series done, there are certain other people I would want to bring into this conversation that I can't bring into right now about who knows what, when I know. And we'll never know how much Sirius knew unless it's revealed later that we find out that he knew something, but there are, there are some other things that will add layers to this yeah. that I will really want to know your thoughts on. Okay. But you just added a lot to that conversation that I've never thought of. Thanks, Amy. Thank you so much, Amy. What a cool question. I wish that Amy and Caroline could host a morning show. Oh, my God. I would watch that shit every day. Can you imagine Caroline's like, good morning, America. Oh, good morning, England. Yes. Oh, my God. I It would seriously make my day every day. you're up first with marriage lessons. So my marriage lesson comes from Neville's cute little thing where he says to Harry, like, I'm sorry. Was that a friend of yours? Mm. 
And this is something that you know that I struggle with. Mm. And this is to show your partner empathy and sympathy without giving them further advice. Ooh. Sometimes it's important to just say, I'm sorry that you feel that way. That really sucks. Yeah. Without then going on to say, have you tried this? Maybe you should think about this. What about this? Sometimes your partner needs that. Sometimes your partner doesn't need that. Sometimes all your partner needs is, man, that sucks. I think this is a hard one for people in general. I think especially for warm, friendly people, which are all the best people. I I think this is a hard thing to do. I think this is something that we all need to do better with. It's like a two-parter. One, you see that they feel bad and you want to help in some way. Of course. More than just acknowledging that they feel bad. And two, it's you want them to know that you're more invested than yeah. just saying, hey, that sucks. Exactly. But sometimes people just need, hey, that sucks. Exactly. I think that like we feel the impulse to fix it because we we just want to take it away. And because we can't swap bodies. We can't, we can't literally take away the emotion. We think that fixing it's the next best thing. I totally get that. Yeah, absolutely. My marriage lesson comes from this fudge egg on his face moment. And it's take your partner's word for it. Believe they are telling you the truth. To me, I'm like, I just keep thinking about the pain that could have been saved, the lives that could have been saved. It is absolutely the truth that Sirius Black would be alive if Fudge had just believed Dumbledore or if he had, even if we go with the the Fudge believed Dumbledore, but was being a manipulative fuck, there were other people who didn't believe Dumbledore. If the public had just believed Dumbledore, you know, whatever, if Harry's friends, if Seamus had just believed Harry, like Mm -hmm. all of that psychic pain that would have been saved if people had just taken his word for it and believed that it was if they had just found it easier to believe that he was telling the truth instead of making up an elaborate story like this. We've had sort of conflicts like this in our arguments where we both say, I feel this way. And the other person says, I feel this way. And we both go, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. It's impossible that you felt that way because that wasn't my intention. Right. And you're like, even though it wasn't your intention, if someone tells you that they feel a certain way, you should believe them. Right, right. Take their word for it. Yeah. I like it. Ready to roll the credits? Roll them. Before we reveal our winners and losers and terrible dad jokes this week, a few reminders. If you love this show and want to help it grow, there are two things you can do. Number one, consider joining one of our membership tiers on Patreon. With monthly donation levels ranging from $1 to $20 a month and benefits like extra content, snail mail from us, on-air shoutouts, and more, it's the most direct way to show your support. Find out more at patreon.com slash the fox and the foxhound. And thank you to our existing patrons. We could not make this show without you. The other way to help our growth is to subscribe, rate, and review the fox and the foxhound wherever you get your podcasts. This will help us by leading more people to the show. If you have a question you'd like featured on the show, send it to us at the fox and the foxhound at gmail.com. 
audio recordings of your question are welcome as well. Or you can send us a question through Instagram at the Fox and the Foxhound, Twitter at Fox and Foxhound, no these, no thys, no thous, just Fox and Foxhound, Facebook.com slash the Fox and the Foxhound, or our website, thefoxandthefoxhound.com. Just click contact us. Be sure to join our Discord server to chat with us, our patrons, and fellow listeners. You can find the link on our website, in our Instagram bio, and in the pinned posts on Facebook and Twitter. We'd like to say a special thank you to Judson Hurd, who composed the theme for our show. Find out more about him and his music at judsonherd.com. That's J-U-D-S-O-N-H-U-R-D.com. And finally, a big thank you to our manager of mischief, minister of magic, and all-around superstar, Josh Bailey. Okay, back to the show. All right, time for the epic version winner and loser. Who is your winner? Dumbledore. Well, sure. Because he kicks some ass and he sticks it to fudge. Absolutely. Sticking it to the man. My winner. Dumbledore. He's a boss. Freaking boss in this chapter. Who's your loser? Voldemort. Absolutely. Because he ran away like a chump. What a chump. He's scared of Dumbledore. He talks all this big game. Yes. But then old Dumbledore walks in and he's like, oh, I gotta go. Oh, shit. Oh, God. He's a loser with a capital L. Loser. My loser. It's also Voldemort. Yes. And I literally put for being a chump. Yes. (laughs) In my notes. We have been married too long already. Loser. Okay, ready for dad jokes? Yes. You always make me go first. I'm putting my foot down and making you go first this week. Okay, so the guys from the fountain <laughs> that broke loose and were sort of wreaking havoc, even though they were helping battle things, they yeah. kind of trashed the atrium. Yeah. But after a certain length of time, they can't get in trouble for it because it's a statue of limitations. <laughs> I like that one. I'm a big fan of that joke. I really like it. Did you know that the Dark Lord has a brother who lives underground? <laughs> no, what's his name? They call him Lord Moldemort. That's <laughs> <laughs> <is> so dumb. <laughs> I dig it. <laughs> I like it, yes. I think that's two solid contributions this week. I think yes. we did a good job. We're I getting like better. Maybe, we're getting maybe we're coming out of our funk. <laughs> oh my god. Let's let's give some love to our marauders. So Harry goes back to, to Hogwarts and God love him. Hopefully this poor boy has a chance to relax a little bit. Sleep in his four poster bed. Good God, what a stressful day this kid has had, right? So how do you think each of our marauders would chill and unwind a little bit after this very stressful day? Okay. Let's start with Samantha Tillman, Sammy Two Tills. She's just going to go skate. She's going to go out to wherever she practices by herself Mm. and just flow and skate. Skate it out, man. How about Melissa Hunter? Meliza Hunter. Hunter. Madam Hunter. (laughs) 
she's going to go to one of those axe-throwing places where you can drink beer and throw axes at plywood. Which sounds so dangerous to me. It also, like, doesn't sound that fun to me. But then I think about, like, me and Pete Collins and Nick Tillman, like, five pints deep, and it sounds kind of fun. Oh, we're men throwing axes. We throw things at wood, huh? Yeah. How about Kelly Moore? She's probably going to go to one of the many incredible restaurants in Louisville, Kentucky, and have herself a nice dinner and a bourbon with her sweet husband. That sounds lovely. Faith Kenfield. She's going to meditate and practice some self-care. Mmm. Clinically proven to work. Amber Biggs. She's probably going to take her little girl to the park. Yes. And just have a nice day at the park. Is there anything better than on a spring day just... Being at the park and you have nowhere to go, nothing to do, but the kids run around. Sounds amazing. Austin Scroggins. I think Austin might sink in like to some Xbox, some PlayStation 5 or something, play some video games. Sounds phenomenal. Jennifer Ayers. She's going to hit the slopes. Naturally. Of course. Duh. Yeah. Maeve Richards. I think Maeve might do like a Netflix binge. Yeah. Well, that sounds nice. I like it. Mallory Gallagher. Every time I hear Mallory's name, I think of the sister in Family Ties, played by Justine Bateman. Love Her Justine name was Bateman. Mallory. Love, love Justine the Batemans. Bateman. Love both Batemans. And love Mr. Fox, Mr. Mike Fox, too. You do love Mike Fox. I started watching The American President last night. What does that have to do with Michael J. Fox? Michael J. Fox is in it. Is he in that? Yes. That's why I watched it. You think I watched it for Michael Douglas? Oh, well, I'm sorry. Michael Douglas is also like an American institution. Hey, he's no Fox. Okay. All right. So I think that she's going to rewatch all of Family Ties. There you go. (laughs) Have you ever seen Family Ties? No. So Family Ties is actually a really, really endearing and good sitcom. It's Michael Gross of Tremors fame. Which one is he in Tremors? He's the badass with all the guns. That does not narrow it down. So Family Ties is a very liberal family yeah. that has this really conservative son. No, I know I know the premise of it. Yeah. Michael J. Fox is like a, a Reagan conservative. That's my nightmare. And his parents are kind of like hippy-dippy. That's like really secretly what I'm afraid is going to happen if we have a kid. <laughs> it really is. I'm afraid that that's going to happen. Like, what? I don't know how to navigate that. Mallory, enjoy your Family Ties. Sarah Epting. Probably yoga. Naturally. Makes sense. Yeah, or she'll walk down to the water or something. That sounds so nice. Josh Bailey. Probably going to play Animal Crossing with you, either in the same room or not. Yeah, either would work. Yeah. I'm down. Kara Heller. Kara, I think, might do like a craft project. That sounds so It's always kind of relaxing to do a little crafty project. I love that. Yes, like like a cross-stitch like a, yeah, Vicky Gutherless. I think she's going to take Rick out on a date. Cute. He deserves it. He deserves it. Brianne Brown. Double B. Double B. Cleveland's finest. <laughs> well, the Browns are doing okay this year, so maybe she'd probably kick back and watch the game. Naturally, yes. Or she'll go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Museum. <laughs> it's right down the street from her house. She just, like, yes. walk there. Yes. Dean Heath. Panthers football. Kick back with some chicken wings and his daughter, and they're going to have their little jerseys on. So cute. So cute. Heather Bevels. She's going to get underneath that giant weighted blanket that she has that's like 10 feet by 10 feet. Literally 10 by 10. And probably watch Die Hard. 
Ooh, good plan. Huge Die Hard fan. She does Heather love Die Hard. Heather Bevels is the reason why I saw Die Hard for the first time like a couple years ago. And I was like, where has this movie been all my life? I love this. Fantastic. Ben Clark. He's going to do what I would do. Sit out on his porch and chill. Oh, for sure. Listen to the birds. Maybe yeah. have a pint. That's what I'm going to do after this, probably. For sure. Josh Kennedy. I could see Josh having himself like a little night on the town by himself. Ooh. You know, goes and buys himself like a nice blazer. Yeah. And he stops by his favorite coffee shop. Yes. Then he goes and buys a book from his favorite bookstore. Really underrated activity. Yeah. Like taking yourself, yourself out. Day. I love that. <sighs> Nick Tillman. Nicky's probably going to like not look for the money that people owe him. He's just going to relax. Take a break from looking for the money. Or he's going to like shit post on fascist websites. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Equally relaxing. He's going to troll bigots is what he's going to do. Sounds great. (laughs) God. How about upcoming birthday boy this week on the 29th? Pete Collins. Pete. Happy early birthday, Pete. Yeah. We'll say that this is non-COVID times. Yeah. I think he's going to have a pint at the pub with his mates. Yeah. It's very relaxing. You deserve it, Pete. Lindsay Prestige. Oh, she's so prestigious. Yeah. She thinks she got so much prestige. <laughs> she's going to watch something about the royals, something prestigious. Like like the crown? Yeah. Maybe she'll watch like a documentary about the Rockefellers or she'll watch the crown. I the keep Queen's being de- Gambit. I don't think that's about... The Queen's Gambit is not about the royals. About I don't know what it's about. It's about it's chess. About chess. It's that's about all chess. I know. Yeah. I feel like I need to watch it. I keep being told I need to watch The Crown. I do want to watch The Crown. I just haven't yet. It's it's like such a time investment. But I am interested in watching it. Daniel Marks. I'll tell you what D. Marks is going to do. Okay. Is my favorite day in Raleigh. He's going to meet me for my favorite day in Raleigh. Oh. And my perfect day in Raleigh Mm. is to go to the North Carolina Science Museum. Mm Mm-hmm. And walk around because mm-hmm. it's a really cool museum. Mm-hmm. And then go eat at the restaurant called The Remedy. You do love The Remedy, as do I. And then go to Pullen Park and ride the carousel and mm-hmm. ride the little train. Mm-hmm. And then go see Dave Matthews' band at Walnut Creek. Yes. Oh. And he'll bring the family. Yeah. And his kid can play at Pullen Park. It's so awesome. sweet. He's probably there right now. Yeah. Michael Terry. Something having to do with spending some time with Mandy, I think. Yeah, they'll do something nice. I think they like to ride bikes. Sweet. Yeah, a bike ride. And last, but never least, Natalia Ward. I think Natalia's going to go do something nice for someone else to relax. Yeah. Write some letters. She is go so volunteer somewhere or something. Yes, volunteer somewhere. You're so right. He's like, I'm going to go surprise one of my mates with coffee. That is so something she would do. Yes. Oh, nailed it. Just nailed it as always. Well, what do you think we're going to do to make this week better than last week? Maybe this week will be better than the last. Maybe not singing depressing shit like Counting Crows, (laughs) for starters. I love Counting Crows. I mean, I do too, but it's not cheerful. We've seen two versions of Counting Crows. We've Sober seen absolutely blow it out of the water. This band is one of the best rock and roll bands I've ever seen. Yeah. And we've seen, why is Adam Duritz so 
freaking hammered right now. Really, really <laughs> intoxicated. Like one of the drunkest still people I've them. ever seen. Still love them. But yeah, but wow. What are we going to do to make this week better? Yeah. Hmm. Well, I have some surprise packages that I'm going to send out to some of my friends. Oh. So I think some cool like art prints and stuff. Yeah. I think that's one thing that I'm going to do. Yeah. I might start my little workout again. Ooh. That I started last January before I broke all my bones. <gasps> and I'm going to continue to prep for spring. Love it. Because spring comes pretty early here mm -hmm. and I love to garden and I love to plant. So right now I've been raking leaves in the back mm -hmm. and getting all my pots ready and turning over the soil in my garden. So I'm going to do things that will help me look forward to other things. What are you going to do? Oh, I love that. Well, I am going to properly pack up. I have like a lot of nostalgic stuff that is all stuff that like I don't it's not stuff that I want to display but it's not stuff I'm ever getting rid of but it's stuff that I want to have all in one place and I just want to have it all in one box that's all yeah. labeled like nicely where it's like cards pictures mm -hmm. you know so that's one thing I want to do so it and it's all in like three or four different places like my closet and you know so I'm in the attic too yeah so I want to have one box that's got all that stuff in it so that's kind of my goal for the week sweet yeah very nice okay so next week we've got the lost prophecy we may end up tacking on the last final chapter i don't know we'll have Who to knows? see we may finish book five next week i don't know we'll keep you posted but yeah almost done with book five and then we'll have the movie and we'll have the prophecy roundup and we'll have an episode of requirement and then we may take a week off and then we'll start half-blood prince ah <sighs> Lots to look forward to. Purple rain, purple rain. Not that prince. Oh. <laughs>